0: So let me ask you, have you ever had an unforgettable walk? You know, life is full of unforgettable walks. I remember a walk I took with Lynn, my wife, about 38 years ago. We celebrate our anniversary this week, in fact. I remember the walk Lynn and I took about 28 years ago with the Calvary Search Committee. How about you? What are some of your unforgettable walks? The Bible often uses the metaphor of a walk to describe our life with God. The prophet Micah said, what does God require of us but to love mercy, to live justly, and to walk humbly with our God? Paul challenged his friends to walk worthy of their calling, to walk in the light, to walk in love, and to walk carefully, taking advantage of every God-given opportunity. In a sense, when we lean in, right? Remember, we listen, we learn, and we lean in. When we lean in to the Word of God, that's our walk. I like that metaphor. To walk suggests something that's enduring and directed, not just frenetic or anxious or aimless. Short-term effort is not what we're looking for, but rather a long obedience in the right direction. Some of us are just in a hurry for the high points when what God wants is to go for a walk with us. So welcome to More Than Bread. This is episode number 87. My name is Dan, and this podcast is all about shaping our walk with God through the Word of God, by listening to, learning from, and leaning into the Word of God. Like Jesus himself said once upon a time, life is more than bread. We, we need more than stuff, more than achievements, more than success, even more than relationships. We desperately need every word that comes from the mouth of God. Our story today is a story of an unforgettable walk, a walk with God. Uh, Listen in as I read Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 56 from the New Living Translation. As soon as the meal was finished, Jesus insisted that the disciples get in the boat and go on ahead. And and remember again, the meal is the the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 20,000, the feeding of the crowd. As soon as that meal was finished, Jesus insisted that the disciples get in the boat and go on ahead Oh, just excuse me, I'm going to stop because I'm reading from the message and I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. Immediately after this, verse 45, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake and Jesus was alone on land. He saw... My words, from wherever he's at, I imagine him being on a hill, overlooking the lake. He saw, verse 48, that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard, struggling against the wind and the waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them, but when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I'm here. Then he climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped. And they were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. After they had crossed the lake, they landed at Gennesaret. They brought the boat to shore and climbed out. The people recognized Jesus at once, and so they ran throughout the whole area carrying sick people on mats to wherever they heard he was, wherever he went in villages, cities, or the countryside. They brought the sick out to the marketplaces. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe, and all who touched him were healed. Now remember, Jesus was headed towards some quiet time with God. He had heard about all this stuff going on with John the Baptist, and, and, and he's headed for some quiet time with his team, a retreat, but the crowd beat him to his place of refuge, and Jesus had compassion, so he served the crowd, spent all day with him, because his heart was moved, Splang nitsomai, he was moved with compassion. But the need to hang out with God hasn't left. That That need to get God's perspective on what's going on in his life hasn't left. It's even greater. And so this time he sends everybody away, even the disciples. Now, Peter and most of his friends had practically grown up on boats. And sometime that evening, when they were about a mile from shore, a great storm blew and a strong wind had risen. They were fighting heavy waves. You now, sometimes we forget that some of life's most unforgettable walks with God come in the midst of some of life's most difficult storms. Meanwhile, back on the hill, Jesus is praying. <laughs> By evening, John in his gospel tells us the disciples had rode about three and a half miles. The lake was around four and a half miles wide. So they're about a mile from shore when this great storm comes up. Matthew says they were buffeted by the waves and the wind was against them. And in fact, one of the gospels says it was, it was almost like a demonic storm. Mark tells us that Jesus saw them. He, he saw them in the midst of this chaotic struggle for their lives, but he just kept praying there on his hill. What do you think about that? I mean, doesn't it bother you just a little? (laughs) We want God to respond immediately to our storms. We want a God who doesn't let us go through the storms. But while the disciples weathered their storm, Jesus is on a hill praying, because sometimes prayer, sometimes intimacy with God is more important than rescue by God. Can you imagine the scene? Tossed back and forth, hanging on for dear life, rowing and yelling and crying out to the darkness, where is he? Has he forgotten us? He feeds thousands of strangers, but he leaves us here to die. You know, if I, if I asked you to describe the worst thing about a life storm, would probably have a variety of snapshots, right? Uncertainty and confusion and isolation, relational conflict, self-doubt, perhaps even shame, But can I tell you what I think tops the bad list? It's that when we go through the storm, if if our perspective isn't right, what happens is that we end up, our view of God loses its wonder. And we end up running from the one that we need the most. I love how Max Lucado puts it. He says, there's a window in your heart through which you can see God. And once upon a time, that window was clear. Your view of God was crisp. The glass was clean. The pane was unbroken. You knew God. You knew how he worked. No surprises. Then the window cracked. A pebble of pain. Perhaps the stone struck when you were a child and a parent left home. Maybe the rock hit an adolescence. Maybe you made it into adulthood before the window was cracked. But suddenly God was not so easy to see. It was hard to see him through the cracks. The moment the rock hit became a reference point because it redefined your perspective of God. So let me say to those of you who who never got past your broken window, those of you going through a storm right now, let me just seed this thought, this possibility in your heart. Sometimes being stuck in a storm is more important than getting to the other side. You don't believe me, so let me say it again. (laughs) Sometimes being stuck in a storm is even more important than getting to the other side. So what storm has you stuck? If you were to complete the statement, I feel stuck in, what would you say? I feel stuck in a loveless marriage. I feel stuck in my shame or stuck in my anger and my attempt to control my life. I feel stuck in the pain of that loss. I feel stuck in the uncertainty of knowing what's next. You may not want to hear it. I know I don't sometimes, but in fact, I usually don't. (laughs) But sometimes our most important moments are found stuck in between in the storm, in between one side and the next. And and you know what? We'll miss a a pretty important moment if we think that all that matters is getting to the other side. We'll miss the fact that Christ is pursuing us. Uh, Later that night, the the boat is in the middle of the lake and Jesus is alone on land and he sees the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them, the storm was against them. And, And shortly before dawn, the darkest part of the night, he goes out to them walking on the lake He he looked like, I don't think he really was going to, but it looked like he was going to pass them by. When they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out. They're terrified. And he spoke to them. Take courage. It's I, don't be afraid. For hours, they've given it all they had. Within a mile of shore, darkest part of the night, used up every bit of their own strength trying to control their circumstances, never truly in control, but trying, always seeing, but never reaching the other side. And then Jesus comes. Then Jesus comes. Then Jesus comes. Not till it's clear that the storm is outside of their control, on the verge of fear, spent and broken. Only then does Jesus step into the storm. I don't know. Maybe that's not always true, but here's what's often true. When, when the storm comes, we often gain this laser-like focus on getting to the other side. We want to get out of the storm, and Jesus wants to get into our storm. See, the disciples thought they were just on a boat trip, and really, Jesus had set them into a, a life transition. I mean, if we're just on a trip, then let's get out of the storm as quickly as, as possible. But, but here's what I've learned from my friend Terry Walling. I, I used to think that a transition was just a trip, the white pages between chapters, a, a journey between two airports on a jet plane. Let's get to the other side as quickly as possible. But I've come to realize that rather than just a temporary interruption, a transition is a crucible for transformation. God does his deepest work in us in the in-between, in the storms, Sometimes we call them crucibles, and crucibles are containers for the intense heat that, that refines what's inside of us. We, we don't get to the other side. We don't get to our destination without going through the storms. In the storm, God prepares us for life on the other side. But, but there's something more, because it's not just about building character. It is that. But it's not just about refining our hearts. It, it is that. But honestly, I think something even deeper is taking place in the storm. See, I think Peter is learning to recognize the voice of Jesus in the storm. The disciples are terrified. They think it's a ghost in the midst of a demonic storm. And then Jesus speaks, don't be afraid, take courage, it's me. Now, Mark edits Peter's story. (laughs) Remember, Peter is probably Mark's number one source. So I don't know, maybe Peter, out of humility, cut this part out. But it's too cool to forget. So we go to Matthew 14, the same story, because Peter responds, you know this if you've heard it before. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come out to you on the water. And Jesus says, come. Peter hears Jesus' voice and then he tests it. He's not sure that he recognizes the voice. Jesus, if it's really you, tell me to come. You know, what if the purpose of the storm we're going through is, is really the purpose is to develop voice recognition with Jesus? My sheep hear my voice, Jesus once said. Do you recognize the voice of your shepherd, the one walking on the water in the midst of your storm? See, sometimes if we let it, the storm that we're going through can focus our ears, even if you can't hear him. If you could imagine him speaking to you right now in the midst of your storm, what is Jesus saying in your storm? That's another good question, and, and really I think what he's what he's asking us is, will we pursue Him? Will you come out to me in the midst of the storm? Will you pursue me? Can you hear Jesus say that to right now to you right now? Will you pursue me? even in the midst of the storm, will you pursue me? Will you come out after me? Lord, if its you tell me to come out to you in the water. Come. Jesus always invites us. Peter got down, he, he walked, but when he saw the wind, you know, the story, he's afraid, he began to sing. He cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. "You Oh, you of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? It's in Matthew 14, Matthew's um, version of this story. You know, this, this scene with Peter and Jesus, it, it kind of wrecks me in a, in a good way, in a I so want that kind of way. Mark tells us that after Jesus said, don't be afraid, it's me, he kept walking like he's going to pass them by if they didn't stop him. And Peter speaks up, I think, with some sense of desperation. He doesn't want to miss Jesus, especially in the storm. He just wants to be where Jesus is. Uh, A friend of mine sent me an email last year after watching an episode of The Chosen. It's a scene between Nicodemus and Jesus where Nicodemus walks away from Jesus in tears. My friend wrote, I had tears in my eyes wondering how many times I've turned down the opportunity to join Christ or to walk with him more closely. There have been too many times when I would not step out of my comfort zone. So my prayer lately has been, Jesus, would you help me not to miss you next time? Jesus, would you help me not miss you next time? I don't know, maybe you're different from me, but I I just think sometimes it's so easy for us to miss Jesus in the storms of life. We, We assume that the presence of a storm is proof of the absence of Jesus when the reality is that Jesus does some of his best work in storms. Life gets messy and the world is filled with storms, but if Jesus is standing in the midst of the storm, listen to me, run to the storm. If Jesus is standing in the midst of the storm, run to the storm. Matthew tells us that when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. See, this is ultimately what it is ultimately all about. What we all want, what our hearts hunger for, and sometimes we don't even know it. As they climbed into the boat, the wind stopped, the sea was like glass and and it was like they were seeing Jesus for the first time. They'd seen his power in action. They, they knew the texture of his heart. they had heard his life-giving words. But now in this moment, they knew that he was the one. They were standing in a boat with God and with the stars as their candles and the boat as their church. They fell to their knees and they worshiped him. Sometimes it takes a storm for us to see Jesus. But when we see him, <laughs> we will never be the same again listen as i read the story again from eugene peterson's paraphrase the message mark 6 verses 45 through 56 as soon as the mail was finished jesus insisted that the disciples get in the boat and go on ahead across to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the congregation after sending them off he climbed a mountain to pray Late at night, the boat was far out to sea, and Jesus was still by himself on land. He could see his men struggling with the oars, the wind having come up against them. At about four o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the sea. He intended to go right by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and they screamed, scared to death. Jesus was quick to comfort them. Courage, it's me. Don't be afraid. As soon as he climbed into the boat, the wind died down. They were stunned, shaking their heads, wondering what was going on. They didn't understand what he had done at the supper. None of this had yet penetrated their hearts. They beached the boat at Gennesaret and tied up in the landing. As soon as they got out of the boat, word got around fast. People ran this way and that, bringing their sick on stretchers to where they heard he was. Wherever he went, village or town or country crossroads, They brought their sick to the marketplace and begged him to let them touch the edge of his coat. That's all. And whoever touched him became well. Jesus, with all my heart, I pray for each and every person listening right now who's in the midst of a storm. Or maybe they're not in the midst of a storm, but unbeknownst to them, a storm is coming. Father, would you pour your spirit out upon them? Would you give them a new perspective of the storm? Would you give them a, a courage and an attitude of heart that says, if Jesus is in the storm, I'm going to run to the storm. So often we think that the best thing about a storm is getting out of it. But if if, if the disciples, that evening, all their concern had been was to get out of the storm, they might have missed this encounter with Jesus that was life-changing and heart-shaping. So I pray for each and every person in the storm. I pray that as you meet them in the storm, that you will change their hearts and change their minds and strengthen them, give them a whole new level of faith. We just thank you, Jesus, that you are, you are, you are the Lord of the storm. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.